Do you volunteer or serve your community in some way? Do you do good? Well, it's great if you do, but have you ever stopped to wonder who you're actually helping, whose interests you're really serving? Is it possible that right down deep, buried at the bottom of your generosity, there's lurking more than a little self-interest? It's an uncomfortable question, and one that I'm discussing over the phone this week with Catherine Yap, a Sydney-based journalist and TV producer. Stay tuned. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. I'm here with Catherine Yap, who wrote a great article in uh, this month's Signs of the Times magazine, the July issue. Uh, Thanks for being with us, Catherine. Thanks for having me on, Kent. It's good to be here. Now, you chose a really interesting title for your article, which is Feeding the Homeless or the Ego. And I guess I just wondered, you know, what sparked off the idea for this article and for you to explore that question? Sure. So I alluded in the article to a post on Facebook Uh, which actually was a black and white image and had the text, if you want to feed the homeless, then feed the homeless. But the moment you post it on social media, you're also feeding your ego. And I actually saw that on a Facebook friend's wall and noticed that quite a few people were commenting on it and going, yes, that's so true, you know, totally agree with that. You know, as soon as you're posting charity or anything on social media, you're feeding your ego. And that was just such a big shock for me because I've always seen it as a, a way to gain awareness of what you're doing or to inspire people about it and encourage them to join in. And I guess I was so surprised by the reaction that this post had gotten that I thought I'd write an article in response. Okay, so you, you sort of had, had the impression bef- before this point that, well, if, if you're doing some good, well, of, of course, you, you would sort of share what you're doing with other people. It's, you know, to celebrate what you're doing as well as to perhaps encourage other people to do something similar. Is, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And I don't know whether it was naive on my part, but I guess when I see people share something that they've done, I think, hey, that's really great. Maybe I should think about doing it. And because it inspires me, I just kind of assume that everyone else has the same intentions. Okay, but I, I guess you've you found um, when you started exploring this that there were a few people who are raising similar sorts of concerns. You you came across this term uh, you mentioned in your article, humble brag. Um, what where did this come from? What what does it mean? So apparently, the humble brag was a term coined by the American comedy writer Harris Whittles, who's passed away now, and he used a term to describe. A brag that allows you to be falsely humble, <laughs> which sounds like an oxymoron, but it tends to be someone who, who, who says that they've done something and makes it sound like a good thing, but at the same time they manage to do it in what seems like a humble sort of way. Okay, um, I'm remembering a, a song I used to hear people sing when I was a kid, you know, um, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're 
perfect in in every way is, is does that sort of link with what you're talking about exactly that would be the perfect example of a humble brag <laughs> okay uh, i think you mentioned in your article that there are there are some celebrities in particular who have really nailed this and and do it very well and managed to sound um extremely humble and um self-deprecating while just you know happening to drop that you know they were over at george clooney's house the other day or they or they were you know an ambassador for world vision or or you know something like that yeah, absolutely. And the worst humble braggers used to be celebrities, but it's actually now, you know, the so-called ordinary people, like we're the ones who are actually doing this too. And I don't know whether it's because we've learned it from celebrities or if it's just something that we've been doing all along and now people are starting to pick up on it. Um, I, I wonder if, if it's a cultural thing. I mean, I know that the USA, for example, has a, a very strong culture of philanthropy and, um, you know, lots of uh, very, you know, posh black tie fundraising events and, and all that sort of thing. Whereas in Australia, by, by comparison, um, we don't seem to quite have that culture. But, but is this something that perhaps... Um, we might have um, picked up from the US, do you think, Kath? I think it's something that's definitely becoming more popular here in Australia too. I mean, I'm not sure how much you sort of travel those circles, Ken, but I think it's becoming more <laughs> and more popular to have those sort of black tie, you know, charge $100 per head to go attend this board to raise money for a special cause. Try try, try um, 15000 I think, for some of them. Well, yeah, 15000 I mean, it depends which sort of causes you're supporting. But definitely, I think the trend is starting to come to Australia now, too. It's very much here. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Well, what about yourself, um, Kath? Are you involved in, you know, what might be termed, you know, doing good? I mean, I, I guess after having this conversation, you might be a bit shy telling us about it. Um, <laughs> you, we, we won't consider you to be humble bragging, but I, I guess I'd just be interested to know, you know, have you been involved in any sort of volunteer work or, or reaching out to people who are, um, you know, perhaps struggling and, um, and yeah, how you felt about doing that? Sure, Kent. And like you've promised, please don't hold this against me. <laughs> uh, but yes, I think from an early age, uh, my my mum was always involved in volunteering and she was always interested in helping other people and uh, doing special projects in the community. And I think it was from her that I got interested in volunteering and being part of the community. And I think pretty much ever since I was a teenager until recently and I still do I, I've, I've always been very interested in volunteering work and helping people where I can okay so what I mean what sort of specific activities are, are you talking about so I've done a few different things I've um, helped raise money for certain causes so the Red Cross uh, Adventist Development and Relief Agency, which is a charitable organisation. I've also volunteer tutored kids from disadvantaged backgrounds. I've yeah been involved in raising funds for people going overseas, op shops, that kind of thing. No, that's that sounds really good. I mean, and you're right. You know, like a, a journalist and a and a TV producer and have have a pretty busy life, but you still find time to um to do that sort of thing. Like, what, why do you do it? What what motivates you? Well, I think two reasons, Kent. I think, firstly, I think I just have this belief that we're in this world to 
not only be here for ourselves, but to help other people as well. And I think that anybody, you know, who has the capacity and who has the um, means to be able to help others should. And I think that stems from the second belief, which really is my primary belief, that being a Christian, that I believe that God actually wants us to be helping other people and to be treating them in the way that we would like to be treated. Mm, yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, I wonder, though, um, if in the process of, you know, doing these fundraisers, you know, helping out the, this or, or that charity, um, tutoring, you know, kids, have you ever sort of stepped back and done a, a little bit of sort of navel-gazing and wondered to yourself, are my motives in doing this really, you know, genuinely 100% altruistic or is there a is there a selfish aspect to, to what I'm doing here? <laughs> Have you ever watched the show Friends, Kent? Are you familiar with the show? I, I have from time to time, yes. I just happened to remember one particular episode uh, that sort of illustrates what we're talking about. And Joey is telling Phoebe, you know, there's no such thing as a 100% altruistic good deed. Like everything we do, there's always some sort of special motive or there's some sort of, you know, intention behind it. And she's so determined to prove him wrong and she starts doing all these things only to have him knock her back at every, you know, every chance and, and go, well, this is the reason why you're doing it. And she finally thinks she's come up with the perfect plan and she, she donates money to an organisation that she can't stand in order to, to help prove that she is willing to do things that aren't <laughs> for any selfish personal reason. But her donation actually gets Joey on TV and she's so excited about that and then she suddenly realises, oh, no, that means there really was a selfish intention behind my, my good deed. <laughs> and... Look, I'll be honest, Ken, I think there are times when I look back at some of the things I've done and I feel satisfied, I feel happy that I've been involved in them, you know. I will, for example, see one of my kids has, has done really well on an exam and I'll think, hey, you know, I played a little part in that. And I think there is probably a little bit of that, you know, I'm, I'm really happy that I got to be part of it, motivation in there, but... I think you can have both. I think that you can be happy that you've helped someone, but at the same time go in there for genuine reasons. Okay, so so you're saying it's it's okay. It's okay if your your motives aren't just purely altruistic and purely thinking of the other person. It, it's okay to recognise from the outset that you are personally getting something out of this yourself. I think it's pretty hard to do any sort of good deed without getting something from it yourself, whether you set out to or not. It just is something that is a natural... I think you are naturally blessed as a consequence of helping other people. I don't think that's necessarily something that you go in and seek, but it's sort of a natural consequence of what happens. Mm -hmm. I, I guess I wonder if it's something that we perhaps at least subconsciously seek when, when we go to do something like that. You know, we, we have a sense that, hey, I am going to feel good about this. I'm going to have a, a warm feeling inside, a sense of accomplishment, a, a sense that, that I'm a good person. And even if it's not something that we openly admit to ourselves, you know, perhaps it is 
something that that is going on at least subconsciously it's probably something that is happening subconsciously Kent but when you think of all the actions that people could be doing in this world in order to feed their egos might you not as well doing something that helps people at the same time yeah and I, I guess that's a question you know can can you do um achieve um you know moral results by using possibly um methods of that involve mixed or or, or dubious motivations it's it, it gets difficult i remember um something that that jesus said in in the gospels and i I'll, I'll just sort of paraphrase it he said when you give to the poor your left hand should not know what your right hand is doing. Um, he, he said, you know, it should be in secret. He says, don't don't be like those hypocrites who, um, you know, blow trumpets on on the street corners and um, and give uh, over their donation, you know, so that everyone can see. He says, those people they've had their reward. Um, but yeah, he he recommended sort of giving in secret and and doing good in secret. How does that idea strike you? Sure. Uh, look, I've always said that Jesus is the ultimate secret service man <laughs> because he was all about giving in secret. Uh, I, I remember hearing a joke once about a man who received an, a tax receipt from his church which said that he'd given no money to the church the previous year and he got outraged because he said he was obeying scripture. By, and quoting that very verse that you just mentioned, he thought that giving was to be so secret that even he shouldn't know how much money he was giving. <laughs> uh, I think definitely it's got some good points. I think that, of course, we shouldn't be doing these things in order to receive human approval because we're not going to necessarily get approval from humans. And... Uh, I think that's shown by the fact that there are Facebook posts telling you that you're feeding your ego if you put things up on Facebook, you know. We're not necessarily getting men's praises by doing what we want. And I think it's telling us that we should be ultimately looking for God's approval, that God is the one uh, who is ultimately seeing our deeds, whether we do them in public or whether we do them in secret. And that's not to say that God cares only about what we do in terms of our actions, but I think it's a way of reminding us that the primary reason that we're doing this is for other people and not for ourselves. Mm, yeah, I, I have to admit, Catherine, uh, that there are times when uh, I see a, a new wing of the library that's, you know, sort of named after some Christian philanthropist or um, or there's, you know, th there's the picture in the paper with the giant um, check and, you know, all, all the people around, you know, with, with champagne and, and everything. And I wonder, boy, do doesn't this just go completely against that principle that Jesus tried to establish there that our generosity shouldn't be something about uh, it shouldn't be about self-aggrandizement you know genuine generosity is actually about serving someone else not making yourself look good sure but I think at the same time we've got to realize that there are people out there who watch what we do and it goes in regards to prayer, for example. You know, Jesus also did say to pray in secret, but, I mean, a lot of us are still praying in public or still praying in church at least. So I, I think it's saying that we shouldn't brag about the things that we're doing, but at the same time, I don't think we should be covering it up 
because if we're not willing to openly and humbly, you know, discuss the opportunities that there are to give back to the community and the ways that we can be involved, how can we expect to raise up other people, you know, who will be inspired and who will see opportunities to give and who will learn how to do good deeds because of what you've done? I think that it is a motivation you know it it is showing people that hey you know we as a church we believe in giving back we believe in generous giving and here are the actions that go along with those words so I don't think it's necessarily about covering things up and I think it's more about having the right motives where we can you know and also inspiring other people to do good through what we do not because of who we are but because of what jesus has shared with us yeah sure fair enough and uh, i wonder if this is why you you picked a a particular historical figure in your article and and that is uh, elizabeth fry tell us about her so i'm actually quite a quite surprised because there's a lot of people who i've mentioned elizabeth fry to and i would say probably about 95 percent haven't heard about her and she was actually one of my childhood heroes because I loved reading books about people who made a positive difference as a child and she was very much one. She was a philanthropist, she was a social reformer and she was born in 1780. Uh, She was visiting the Newgate prison in London and she was really horrified you know by the conditions of the female prisoners and their children there and she came back with food and clothes eventually taught the female prisoners how to sew and how to read and how to earn money for themselves Uh, she became the first woman at the House of Commons to talk about the horrific condition of British prisons and she wasn't content to sort of leave these issues for the men of the parliament to sort out. She went on tours to highlight the work that she was doing. Um, She inspired the King of Prussia and Queen Victoria to both visit and see the humanitarian work that she was doing and also contribute financially to her cause. So she, I think, was a great example of someone who was able to do charitable causes and good deeds, but also bring publicity and awareness to them because she knew that that would bring on board people who had the influence to help her make a difference. Wow, and and so I guess through her influence there there were improvements in prison conditions, I assume? Absolutely. So as I mentioned, uh, she taught them how to sew, how to read, how to be financially independent. Uh, The the prison conditions improved vastly. And she also uh, did work with the homeless. So she established night shelters where they could stay. Okay, and that is really interesting because I think even to this day, um, you know, the, the idea of, of prison conditions is is not something that's a real vote winner. It's not something that gets a, a whole lot of um, the public profile. Uh, we, we don't see, even today, a, a lot of public campaigns about this. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating to see that, um, I guess, the relatively humane conditions that we do have in prisons are, w- weren't achieved by accident, but they were actually achieved by some, you know, someone who gave charitably and then was able to do some social campaigning and some, some powerful advocacy. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so um, I guess that, that's the Elizabeth Fry historically. What what about today? Do you are you aware of people or, or organisations who you feel are are getting the balance right? Um, you know, when it comes to giving selflessly, but are still you know able to highlight their generosity, highlight their um, their successes in in ways that you know you would sort of say, hey, they've got the balance right. Yeah, 
Look, I, I would probably hesitate to name anyone because now at this stage I feel like maybe I'd be feeding some egos. <laughs> uh, but definitely I think there are charitable organisations and individuals out there who are doing a good job of both promoting what they're doing and also trying to make um, bring awareness to the cause that they have. So, for example, there are a number of non-profit charity organisations who I think do a really good job of not only showing who they're helping but also taking the initiative to help the local people become self-sufficient. So they're not going over there and um, going overseas and just running trips for the sake of it, but they're actually taking measures to employ the local people, help them find jobs, uh, help them become uh, financially independent. And I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, it, it must be interesting, like being an NGO, doing that sort of work, because you have to constantly, I guess, sort of justify your existence you know, to people. It's a, it's a very busy, crowded market out there. I mean, you, you mentioned ADRA before, and, and I know there was a time when ADRA was, you know, very hardcore about, you know, 100% of our donations go to the projects we're supporting. And, and while they were doing that, they lost more and more of the, the public's awareness of, of what they were doing. And they really had to, you know, do a rethink and say, hey, we actually have to do some marketing of our projects. We have to let people know the good work we're doing because basically the, the other NGOs are vacuuming up the, um, the donations and people just don't even know we exist. And it must be tough um, to, to get that right. And, and then I guess you've, you've got to be working you know, in these communities with these people who are disadvantaged, but really the ultimate measure of your success is that you're able to leave that community behind and say, hey, the job has been done here. Um, you know, these people are now self-sufficient. These people now have access to, you know, clean water, um, healthcare, education, whatever it is. And, you know, and our work here is done. Um, it, I, and it's not the sort of success story that you hear from NGOs. Usually you, you hear about the needs and the, the desperate plight of people um, rather than the successes. But the successes do happen. Absolutely, Ken. And you're right. I mean, a big part of any sort of non-profit organisation to raise awareness for their cause is marketing. And I guess you can look at it from a cynical perspective and go, well, if they had such a great cause, they wouldn't have to market it. But the truth is, unless they market it, there's no way with the amount of things that we see in social media that we're actually going to take time to block out everything else and look at a particular video or a particular story. I think storytelling it's a great way of uh, raising awareness for your cause, but it has to not only be a great story, it has to be the way that it's told, whether it's, you know, a nice um, polished video or whether it's a, you know, a beautifully cut sort of um, article, it, whatever it is, it's got to be something that catches people's attention in order for it to raise awareness. Yeah, and and there are ethical issues there. I mean, you know, people use phrases like you know poverty porn, for example. Um, yeah, there's the I guess that there's a way in which people who who are supposed to be the beneficiaries of these projects actually basically end up being you know exploited, and their situation ends up being you know somehow you know fetishized in in order to um, basically pull heartstrings. And I'm really glad to see that so many NGOs are, are aware of that now, and are, I guess trying to steer away from those those extremes and those sort of dubious methods. Yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, I think, don't get me wrong, I think there's still probably a lot of people out there who are, aren't, you know, making, going about the wrong way in how they market their causes. But I think there are so many people who are also doing it right. And the unfortunate thing is when you have a post like this, if you want to feed the homeless, feed the homeless, but the moment you're putting it on social media, you're also feeding your ego. Mm. I think that's unfortunately turning a lot of people off the very real needs to um, raise awareness for certain causes. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a complex issue, isn't it? Thank you very much for, for your time today, Catherine Yap, and, and thanks for writing this article for us. We, yeah, we really appreciate that. You're very welcome, Kent. I hope it starts a conversation. <laughs> yeah, me too. And um, look, our, our listeners will probably remember that uh, a couple of weeks ago we had um, Darren Morton um, on Signs of the Times Radio, and he was talking about his, his new book, Live More Happy. One of the strategies that he talked about for you know, a meaningful, flourishing life is uh, he writes a chapter in his book uh, entitled giving is living um, where, where he actually said you know generosity and and giving and charity is actually one of the secrets to to living a, a happy life and I think you know that's very consistent with uh, what um, what Catherine and I have been talking about in in this episode but I just like to mention that book again because uh, basically if if you our listener uh, would like to subscribe to signs of the times magazine or increase your subscription perhaps to get a, a second subscri- subscription to share with someone else we can send you out a copy of that book live more happy by dr darren morton for no extra charge so that's great um yeah jump on our our website which is signs of and um yeah check out your subscription options there so yeah Thank you very much, uh, Catherine Yap, for your time for this episode. My pleasure. Thanks, Kent. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just $26 for 11 issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media. This is an Adventist Media podcast.